Act 2, Scene 4 and 5. Scene 4. It is an afternoon a few weeks later. Everyone but Margo is in the main room. There's a sense of great tension. Both Mrs. Frank and Mr. Van Dan are nervously pacing back and forth. Dussel is standing at the window below, looking down fixedly at the street. Peter is at the center table trying to do his lessons. Anne sits opposite him writing in her diary. Mrs. Van Dan is seated on the couch her eyes on Mr. Frank as he sits reading. The sound of a telephone ringing comes from the office below. They are all rigid, listening tensely. Dussel rushes down to Mr. Frank. Dussel, there it goes again, the telephone. Mr. Frank, do you hear? Mr. Frank, quietly. Yes, I hear. Dussel, pleading, insisting. But this is the third time, Mr. Frank. The third time in quick succession. It is a signal. I tell you, it's me trying to get us. For some reason, she can't come to us, and she's trying to warn us of something. Mr. Frank, please, please. Mr. Van Dan to Dussel, you're wasting your breath. Dussel, something has happened, Mr. Frank. For three days now, Meep hasn't been to us, and today, not a man has come to work. There hasn't been a sound in the building. Mrs. Frank. Perhaps it's Sunday. We may have lost track of days. Mr. Van Dan to Anne. You, with the diary there, what day is it? Dussel, going to Mrs. Frank. I don't lose track of the days. I know exactly what day it is. It's Friday, the 4th of August. Friday, and not a man at work. He rushes back to Mr. Frank, pleading with him, almost in tears. I tell you, Mr. Crawler's dead. That's the only explanation. He's dead and they've closed down the building and Meep is trying to tell us. Mr. Frank. She never telephoned us. Dussel, frantic. Mr. Frank, answer that. I beg you, answer it. Mr. Frank. No. Mr. Van Dan. Just pick it up and listen. You don't have to speak. Just listen and see if it's Meep. Dussel. Speaking at the same time, please, I ask you, Mr. Frank, no, I've told you no. I do nothing that might let anyone know we are in the building. Peter, Mr. Frank's right. Mr. Van Dan, there's no need to tell us what side you're on. Mr. Frank, if we wait patiently, quietly, I believe that help will come. There's a silence for a minute as they all listen on to the telephone ringing. Dussel, I'm going down. He rushes down the steps. Mr. Frank tries ineffectually to hold him. Dussel runs to the lower door, unbolting it. The telephone stops ringing. Dussel bolts the door and comes back up the steps. Too late. Mr. Frank goes to Margot and Anne's room. Mr. Van Dan, so we'll just wait here until we die. Mrs. Van Dan, hysterically, I can't stand it. I'll kill myself. I'll kill myself. Mr. Van Dan. Stop it. In the distance, a German military band is heard playing a Venetian waltz. Mrs. Van Dan. I think you'd be glad if I did. I think you want me to die. Mr. Frank. Whose fault is it we are here? Mrs. Van Dan starts for her room. He follows, talking at her. We could have been safe somewhere. An American or a Switzerland. 
But no, no, you didn't leave what I wanted to. You couldn't leave your things. You couldn't leave your precious furniture. Mrs. Van Dan, don't touch me. She hurries up the stairs, followed by Mr. Van Dan. Peter, unable to bear it, goes to his room. Anne looks after him, deeply concerned. Dussel returns to his post at the window. Mr. Frank comes back into the main room and takes a book, trying to read. Mrs. Frank sits near the sink, starting to peel some potatoes. Anne quietly goes to Peter's room, closing the door after her. Peter is lying face down on the cot. Anne leaves over him, holding him in her arms, trying to bring him out of his despair. Anne, look, Peter, the sky. She looks up through the skylight. What a lovely, lovely day. Aren't the clouds beautiful? You know what I do when it seems as if I couldn't stand being cooped up for one more minute? I think myself out. I think myself on a walk in the park where I used to go with Pim, where the joquils and the crocus and the violets grow down the slopes. You know the most wonderful part about thinking yourself out? You can have it any way you want. You can have roses and violets and chrysanthemums all blooming at the same time. It's funny. I used to take it all for granted. And now I've gone crazy about everything to do with nature. Haven't you? Peter, I've just gone crazy. I think if something doesn't happen soon, if we don't get out of here, I can't stand much more of it. Anne, softly. I wish you had a religion, Peter. Peter, no thanks, not me. Anne, oh, I don't mean you have to be orthodox. I believe in heaven and hell and purgatory and things. I just mean some religion. It doesn't matter what, just to believe in something. When I think of all that's out there, the trees and flowers and seagulls, and when I think of the dearness of you, Peter, and the goodness of the people we know, Mr. Crawler, Meep, Dirk, the vegetable man, all risking their lives for us every day. When I think of these good things, I'm not afraid anymore. I find myself and God and I, Peter interrupts, getting up and walking away. Peter, that's fine, but when I begin to think, I get mad. Look at us hiding out here for two years, not able to move, caught here like, waiting for them to come and get us, and all for what? And. We are not the only people that have had to suffer. There's always people that had to. Sometimes one race, sometimes another. And yet, Peter, that doesn't make me feel any better. Anne, going to him. You know it's terrible, trying to have any faith when people are doing such horrible. But you know what I sometimes think? I think the world may be going through a phase, the way I was with Mother. It'll pass. Maybe not for hundreds of years, but someday, I still believe, in spite of everything, that people are really good at heart. Peter, I want to see something now, not a thousand years from now. He goes over, sitting down, again on the cot. Anne, but Peter, if you only look at it as part of a great pattern, that we're just a little minute in life, she breaks off. Listen to us, going at each other like a couple of stupid grown-ups. Look at the sky now. Isn't it lovely? She holds out her hand to him. Peter takes it and rises. 
standing with her at the window, looking out, his arms around her. Someday, when we're outside again, I'm going to... She breaks off as she hears the sound of a car, its brakes squealing as it comes to a sudden stop. The people in the other room also become aware of the sound. They listen, tensely. Another car roars up to a screeching stop. Anne and Peter come from Peter's room. Mr. and Mrs. Van Dan creep down the stairs. Dussel comes out of his room. Everyone is listening, hardly breathing. A doorbell clangs again and again in the building below. Mr. Frank starts quietly down the steps to the door. Dussel and Peter follow him. The others stand rigid, waiting, terrified. In a few seconds, Dussel comes stumbling back up the steps. He shakes off Peter's help and goes to his room. Mr. Frank bolts the door below and comes slowly back up the steps. Their eyes are all on him as he stands there for a minute. They realize what they feared has happened. Mrs. Van Dan starts to whimper. Mr. Van Dan puts her gently in a chair and then hurries off upstairs to the room to collect their things. Peter goes to comfort his mother. There is a sound of violent pounding on a door below. Mr. Frank, quietly. For the past two years, we have lived in fear. Now we can live in hope. The pounding below becomes more insistent. There are muffled sounds of voices shouting commands. Men's voice. Af machen, dar drachen. Af machen, schnell, schnell, schnell. The street door below is forced open. We hear the heavy tread of footsteps coming up. Mr. Frank gets two school bags from the shelves and gives one to Anne and the other to Margot. He goes to get a bag for Mrs. Frank. The sound of feet coming up grow louder. Peter goes to Anne, kissing her goodbye. Then he goes to his room to collect his things. The buzzer of their door starts to ring. Mr. Frank brings Mrs. Frank a bag. They stand together waiting. We hear the thud of gun butts on the door, trying to break it down. Anne stands holding her school satchel, looking over at her father and mother with a soft, reassuring smile. She's no longer a child, but a woman with courage to meet whatever lies ahead. The lights dim out, the curtain falls on the scene. We hear a mighty crash as the door is shattered. After a second, Anne's voice is heard. Anne's voice. And so it seems our stay here is over. They are waiting for us now. They have allowed us five minutes to get our things. We can each take a bag and whatever will hold of clothing. Nothing else. So dear diary, that means I must leave you behind. Goodbye for now. P.S. Please, please meet or Mr. Crawler or anyone else. If you should find this diary, will you keep it safe for me? Because someday, I hope. Her voice stops abruptly. There is silence. After a second, the curtain rises. Scene 5 It is again the afternoon in November 1945. The rooms are as we saw them in the first scene. Mr. Crawler has joined Meep and Mr. Frank. There are coffee cups on the table. We see a great change in Mr. Frank. He is calm now. His bitterness is gone. He slowly turns a few pages of the diary. They are blank. Mr. Frank. No more. He closes the diary and puts it down on the couch beside him. Meep. I had gone to the country to find food. 
When I got back, the block was surrounded by police. Mr. Crawler, we made it our business to learn how they knew. It was the thief, the thief who told them. Meep goes up to the gas burner, bringing back a pot of coffee. Mr. Frank, after a pause, it seems strange to say this, that anyone could be happy in a concentration camp, but Anne was happy in the camp in Holland where they first took us. After two years of being shut up in these rooms, she could be out, out in the sunshine and the fresh air that she loved. Meep, offering the coffee to Mr. Frank. A little more? Mr. Frank, holding out his cup to her. The news of the war was good. The British and Americans were sweeping through France. We felt sure that we would get to us in time. In September, we were told that we were going to be shipped to Poland, the men to one camp, the women to another. I was sent to Auschwitz. They went to Belsen. In January, we were freed, the few of us who were left. The war wasn't over yet, so it took us a long time to get home. We'd be sent here and there behind the lines where we'd be safe. Each time, our train would stop. At a siding or a crossing, We'd all get out and go from group to group. Where were you? Were you at Belsen? At Buchenwald? At Mountainhausen? Is it possible that you know my wife? Do you ever see my husband? My son? My daughter? That's how I found out about my wife's death. Of Margot. The Van Dans. Dussel. But Anne. I still hoped. Yesterday I went to Rotterdam. I heard of a woman there. She'd been in Belsen with Anne. I know now. He picks up the diary again and turns the pages back to find a certain passage. As he finds it, we hear Anne's voice. Anne's voice. In spite of everything, I still believe that people are really good at heart. Mr. Frank slowly closes the diary. Mr. Frank. She puts me to shame. They are silent.